healthcare research often is challenged by the fact that it's very difficult to get access to reliable, standard health data. But there's actually a, an incredible source of this kind of data available to us that's being generated by the fact that we have to pay for healthcare. Somebody needs to be paid for providing all these services, and when that has, happens, you need a way of explaining what happened, why you did the thing that you did in your healthcare facility, and therefore how much you should get paid. This process of converting healthcare activities and the justification for those healthcare activities creates something called a billing claim. And these claims go to insurance providers or to you if you're self-pay, and can, they contain an incredible amount of information about people's health, about the healthcare they receive, and by extension, how much that uh, healthcare can cost. So if you work anywhere in the health space, in healthcare, in wellness, you know, if you work for a food bank, if you work for Meals on Wheels, if you work for a mental health group, or if you're just interested in the research that supports a lot of the policy that happens in our state and federal governments, a lot of that uses healthcare data or could use healthcare claims data. So this episode, we dive in deep to this data source with an incredible expert who has almost a decade of experience in this space, and she helps explain to us what claims are, how they're standardized, the information that they contain, how we can use them in research, and also how we should be a bit critical in understanding and interpreting data that comes off claims because there are some limitations because these claims are not intended directly for research. So this episode does get a little bit geeky, but Lindy is incredibly approachable. The way she explains this, I think, will help anybody who's ever gotten a medical bill, let alone those of us who might like to use claims for research or might like to understand how others are doing so. Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits and social enterprises. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannering. So I am very lucky to have an expert on a particular kind of health data that I don't think a lot of people recognize as truly health data. It's functional, right? And we're going to hear a little bit about how it serves a really important purpose in actually providing healthcare. But there's also really great information that we can get out of health claims. So I am joined today by my very good friend, Lindy. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, my name's Lindy Nichols. I'm a medical coder. I've been coding for about six years, mostly um, outpatient emergency rooms and some specialties in clinics. Um, and I'm excited to be here and talk about coding and claims data. Exactly. So we are going to go down a little bit of a wonderful geeky rabbit hole here, but I really think that this is going to help anyone who's remotely considering working with claims data or people who don't realize that claims data is available for you to use. Um, but before we can get into any of that exciting stuff, we have to just start with like what even are medical claims? So a medical claim is literally just a bill created by healthcare providers that contains medical codes 
that correspond with whatever treatment or care that patient received. So I, as a medical coder, my whole job is to translate your medical record into billable insurance. And I think healthcare is so complicated because you have actually someone's health, right? Yes. So someone has issues, the whole whatever. complex story of their entire health history. <laughs> right. And then they, they go into some healthcare setting, a physician's office, a dentist, a pharmacy, the ER, where you meet them. And like, then stuff will happen. Right? The doctor will see them. Yes. They might have procedures. They might be treated. They might be given medication. Um, all sorts of things. And I have to take their entire complex medical history and squish it into... Most, most claims forms take about 12 codes. Which isn't very much. Which isn't very much. No. So, and that now brings up a really great point. So we have these codes. So how do you convert all of that medical history, which the doctor makes little scribbles and notes and jots things down, and you've got procedure tests and all sorts of stuff that comes back, you then have to standardize that to send to a payer. So how do you do that standard? How do you do that standardization? So there are two different sets of codes. There is ICD-10 codes, which are diagnosis codes. It's an internationally accepted set of codes. There are more than 70,000 of them. Which is insane. They get very specific. Um, and those span the, the, the gap, everything from I have a cough to mm-hmm. I broke the distal third phalanx of my, you know, index finger. It, they get, or sucked into jet engine. Or, or, or sucked into talking. a jet engine. So all of those codes are just for your diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Why were you seen? What were you being treated for? The second set of codes are the codes that actually have charges connected with them. Those are the CPT codes or the procedure codes. Mm -hmm. So pretty much every visit you have at a doctor's office, urgent care, emergency room, specialist office, you're going to have at least a level of service code, which Mm -hmm. encompasses... How bad things were, right? Basically, there are different rules for those depending on if... The bill is for the doctor or the bill is for the facility. So if you go to the emergency room, you're always going to get two bills. You'll have the doctor bill and then the facility charge, which is, you know, their level of service includes everything from the room you were in, the every nurse that saw you, Mm -hmm. the electricity to keep the building running, all of those things. Whereas the doctor's level of service is more based on um, level of risk and how the severity of Mm -hmm. what you're being seen for. Um, I realize that this episode will also help people understand the bills that they get from healthcare. Because <laughs> when you get these like multiple bills and you're like, why am I What's even getting these God? multiple bills? Yes. Or my favorite is when you get the one that's a bill that says this is not a bill. Yes, your explanation <laughs> of benefits, very different than the bill. Feature mm-hmm. codes, those are the things that have charges connected with them. Your level of service, if they, you know, do a surgery, if they sew up a laceration if all of those things are the procedure codes icd-10 exists to support those codes basically so you're telling your insurance company i went to the emergency room because i cut my finger and they sewed it up and the emergency and your insurance company will say why why should i pay for this what what did what did they do why did they do it tell me why i should pay for them to fix this so the icd-10 codes the diagnosis codes are going to say you know, I had a laceration on my finger and the external cause codes will say, you know, I 
cut my hand while chopping an avocado <laughs> in my kitchen at home. Yeah. Um, all of those little extras to sort of create mm -hmm. a picture mm -hmm. for your insurance company or if you're self-pay, unfortunately, for you, <laughs> um, about why mm -hmm. for your insurance company, or if you're self-pay, unfortunately, for you, <laughs> um, about why, mm -hmm. why they are charging you what they're charging you yeah. for. And I think those codes also then have been co-opted for use in public policy and public health, you know, so Absolutely. it was very important to get COVID codes added because they both needed to have insurance, be like, you have to cover this because it's COVID related, but also for public health to be able to look at these claims coming in and have a sense of how many people are getting treated for COVID. Absolutely. And there, and there is a lot of tracking mm -hmm. things that, that happen. Mm -hmm. There's um, everything from... HIV and AIDS codes mm -hmm. to to COVID to things like smokers. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a history of tobacco dependence or yes. current smokers, all of those things are collected and tracked mm -hmm. um, specifically for right. health data and in a standardized way. You bring up you mentioned a good set of codes, which are the history of codes. Correct. So you've got codes for you know suturing and then the diagnosis code will be laceration on finger or cut mm -hmm. on a finger. But then you also can have like history of and that could explain why this thing may have happened or why this thing may have been worse than normal, right? Correct. Like, yeah, I could also include if, if there was a family history of blood clotting disorders, mm -hmm. if you are taking anticoagulants yourself, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a long-term mm -hmm. medication use codes for all sorts of different kinds of medications right. that are high risk or have complications mm -hmm. that can come with them. Um, yeah. Or even something like if you come in for, you fell and hit your head. If you have a history of concussions or of traumatic mm. brain injuries, that affects your current mm -hmm. course of care. Yep. And another reason also that these standardized codes are important is that we are trying to facilitate exchange of health information across all the places that we're going. So both from a data point of view that I could get data from different sources and be able to compare it because you're using the same set of patients. Right, like if Correct. I take my medical record somewhere else and you have some of these standard codes in there, some of that can help with that transfer of information or the health information exchanges, which many people may not hear about, but that's sharing of these claims going back and forth to try to help this information follow patients. Correct, correct. And, and like I said, this is an internationally accepted mm -hmm. set of codes. They use these same codes even in other countries that mm -hmm. have socialized healthcare, mm -hmm. they're still using these codes to track patient outcomes and, mm -hmm. and charges. All of these things have costs associated with them. Those costs change depending on where you are, but the codes stay the same. That's really cool. So it even allows international comparisons from a health point of view. Absolutely. That's yes. really cool. So WHO can collect COVID data from mm -hmm. around the world because everyone is using mm -hmm. U07.1 for COVID-19. Right, that particular code. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, you may not know this because I didn't, um, or I don't know this. D10 codes for death certificates, like causes of death. Do you put codes related to that? Not that I Okay, it's know a different of. set of unstandardized things. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you don't. No, that's fine. I wasn't sure. It just dawned on me. I was like, I wonder if they use them I, there too. I think because there's not a medical charge mm, related to right. that, you they would probably don't. They probably have their own um, set of made up codes. I know that, that dental coding has its mm. own set of CPT codes. Right. And there, there are some dental right. diagnosis codes in ICD-10 because people, if you don't right. have dental health care in the U.S., you can come to the emergency room saying, my 
tooth hurts so much I can't function. And they, like, I have dental infection and abscess and cavity codes. Interesting. Um, But they're not as extensive as what probably exists in this. Okay. Dental dental coding is a separate sphere. And that's also good to know when you're trying to compare things across different different places of service from a, from a research point of view. Um, so while you have 70,000 codes, right, which, which seems yes. like it should cover every <laughs> possible scenario that you could ever think of, um, I'm curious a little how someone's medical record will still end up being different than what shows up in an actual billing claim. So... Billing claims are very focused on whatever is being cared for at that particular visit. So someone with a very complex medical history, they have chronic kidney disease, they have diabetes, they have hypertension, they have a history of cancer. Mm -hmm. All of those things are important and reflect upon their Mm -hmm. care. But if they're going to the emergency room because they cut their finger... Mm -hmm chronic kidney disease doesn't really affect that at all. If it's not supporting the level of service for that Mm -hmm. visit, it's not worth clogging up a claim with. Now, if you're going to your nephrologist Mm -hmm. because you want to keep track and make sure your chronic kidney disease isn't progressing, all of those other codes absolutely will be included um, because they all affect your overall Mm -hmm. picture. and even digging into your own health medical records, the, the, the information that I'm looking at to pull those codes out from is much more complete and exhaustive and, mm-hmm. and you know, has all of those little details and intricacies. Mm-hmm. Because claims data is specifically charge-focused, mm-hmm. a lot of that extra just gets cut as fat basically right no that makes sense that you're having to focus on what is to focus on what is generating cost here and so if a history of blank increased the cost of the visit or the effort of the visit it could be included but if it's just background information it's not going to be it won't be on there yeah the only exceptions are um aids and hiv Mm -hmm. if the patient has a history of aids or hiv that is always Always on a claim every single time right um depending on i i have worked in offices where collecting tobacco data Mm. was absolutely always always included because there were you know government funds available if you Mm -hmm. met certain goals for reporting this data Mm -hmm. because there was a lack of data that they wanted Mm -hmm. so they created these extra incentives to add that data. Well that's where we go back to that the original point of a medical claim was to get paid for providing medical services but then all these other organizations went well this is really useful (laughs) and they want to use it's helpful to have on it but but you've got different incentives in that. Case. Yes, yeah, it's definitely so, a mixed bag depending on on who's yeah. willing to pay for what information is right. included. Now, do you get to just decide, you know, I I think this code goes here. Right? Is, <laughs> <do> you... <laughs> no. Absolutely. That's a bit of a rhetorical question. <laughs> no. Um, no, there are very specific <laughs> coding guidelines that I have to follow. I am not a certified medical professional. Mm -hmm. I can't assume Mm -hmm. any diagnosis because I do not have the medical training or the 
legal authority <laughs> Yes, well, right. like, well, that sounds like appendicitis. I'm just right. going to put appendicitis down. No, 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 no. Um, even if the doctor says likely appendicitis, mm-hmm. I can't code that. I can only code the symptoms they came in for. Mm-hmm. Right lower quadrant pain, mm-hmm. nausea. High fever. High right. fever. Yeah. Right lower quadrant pain, mm-hmm. nausea. High fever. Right. High fever. Yeah. Unless the diagnosis states appendicitis, mm-hmm. I cannot code it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are also limitations based on the documentation mm-hmm. available. I can only code what's there. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't pull from magical mystery sources. I can't pull from emails doctors right. have sent me. I, you can't use the doctor walking by being like, yeah, yeah, that's hey, what it hey, was. Hey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're, they're very specific. I can message a provider and mm-hmm. say, hey, this note is missing this important piece of information. Can you please addend your note right. with this information? If they just send me a message back being like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the left side. I put right accidentally. No. If they don't change your the permanent medical, medical record, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. I can't code yeah. it. And I know that this has been a really important area from the point of view of using claims data to look at like prevalence of things. Yes. Because... Yes. because if, like you're saying, the actual recording of things isn't happening to the level that meets these very strict guidelines to allow you to put a code, that code doesn't go on. So even if the thing happened, right, it's not going to show up in the claims data. Yes. And it's unfortunate because then you're looking at the data and you think that thing didn't happen. But it's actually just that some you know, physician somewhere didn't happen to write it down in just the right way or with enough specificity or with the right details. Correct. Well, and there are some things, um, there are some limitations, for example, gunshot wounds. I, I code for emergency rooms. We see a fair amount of gunshot wounds. Um, and there is the capacity for great specificity in the code set. There, there's a huge section I can get as specific as, you know, um, assault by discharge of a handgun versus mm-hmm. um, accidental discharge of a hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when a lot of these people are coming into the emergency room, they're coming in as trauma alerts. So there's a, a gaggle of doctors and surgeons waiting for mm-hmm. the paramedics to arrive with this patient so they can immediately begin healthcare. Um, a lot of them are immediately intubated. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't want to talk about the specifics of the gunshot they received. So all the information that may be available to me in the medical record is a one-line blurb from the paramedics that just says gunshot wound. Right. So all of that ends up being these unspecified codes or the default codes for a lot of these external causes is accidental. If the, if the chart doesn't say it was an assault, it defaults to an accidental mm-hmm. gun discharge, unspecified gun discharge. Um, so there's a lot of potential for great data here, but because of this, it may not be captured or reflected in the data that actually exists. And I think that was a really important example, because again, this goes back to, I think when people think data isn't perfect, they often think it makes the picture fuzzy. And I like to say, no, 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 it'll show you a picture of a golden retriever when it's supposed to be of a bear. Right? Yes. It doesn't look fuzzy. It doesn't look incomplete. It looks like it's presenting something when the truth is something else. And so this accidental is a great example where you would think if it says accidental, that means it was known to be an accident. That's how you would interpret it. Absolutely. But knowing that that's how it's been generated, you have to say that 
when it lists assault, we know it's an assault because there's very strict guidelines for coding that. But if it doesn't say assault, we don't necessarily know that it wasn't. It wasn't an assault. Um, and there are some things, too, where even though there are more than 70,000 codes, there aren't codes for everything. Um, a, a great example of that is um, in the last few years, the, the explosion of those electric rentable standing stairs, the, the explosion of those electric rentable standing scooters. Mm -hmm. Turns out drunk people and motorized vehicles that require balance, not a great mix, um, resulted in a lot of injuries, but there wasn't a code for standing electric scooter mm -hmm. until this year. So all of those accidents were probably coded under motorcycle injury mm. codes because it's a two-wheeled motorized vehicle and there wasn't a better code mm -hmm. to, to connect with those. Mm -hmm. So some of this data is going to look much more like a bear than a golden retriever because the, the code doesn't exist for mm -hmm. it yet to create that specificity that you may be yeah. looking for. And this brings up a great point that if you're interested in working from a research point of view with claims data, it really would behoove you to talk to someone like, well, what's not? When I see this code, how do I interpret that? Right? Because yes. again, there's really rich data here, but there's also a level of interpretation that takes some very skilled awareness of how that data was generated. And, so, and the guidelines change mm -hmm. again just this year. Um, previous, uh, there's, there's a thing called Coding Clinic, um, which is uh, basically a collection of professional coders that people send in their questions, mm -hmm. they collect, they confer, they compare, they talk to government agencies, and they come back with a standardized mm -hmm. answer to these complex questions. Mm -hmm. um, and so those guidelines can change. So just this year they changed. It used to be if a diabetic patient um, was seen and you were adding diabetes to a claim, um, if they were taking a anti-diabetic, oral anti-diabetic like metformin, and they were using insulin, we only collected the insulin right. for insulin. Um, and I, I assume the thinking was if the diabetes has progressed far enough that they're relying on insulin, um, that that is a more important data point than, like, they've progressed past the point of just using oral mm -hmm. hypoglycemics. Um, just this year, they've changed that to say, no, no, capture both, both of those. Turns out that's important data to have, that they are taking both a daily oral medication mm -hmm. for this and insulin, and that creates a better picture of mm -hmm. their disease progression than mm -hmm. only collecting the insulin. So if you're tracking those numbers, that's going to change significantly based on when that coding clinic happened to be published. That is a great point, too. So if you're trending information, you need to understand when these coding requirements are changing so that you know to potentially adjust across that boundary or maybe constrain your analysis to a time period a where those train your analysis to a time period a where those guide period. guides have been consistent. Correct. I know the whole switch from ICD-9 to ICD-10 oh. was like a cataclysmic oh change. <laughs> like you cannot compare insane. across those time periods. No, no, you can't right. because it depended on, it. it there was probably two years mm -hmm. where depending on the office you happened to yes. work in, you may or may not be using ICD-10 codes yeah. yet. Um, a lot of coding standards 
follow whatever Medicare, Medicaid mm-hmm. will accept. Um, so they were willing to accept ICD-9 codes mm-hmm. for an extended amount of time. I know, they kept delaying ICD-10 the deadline. Because yeah. it was a huge change. Yeah. People had, there were a lot of doctors that retired rather than yeah. learn a whole new code set or yeah. update their entire computer software, software mm-hmm. to handle this yeah. new, much larger code set. Yeah. Um, much larger code set. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a... I, I got lucky. I started, I learned ICD-9. I was certified in ICD-9. And then like three months later, I had to learn ICD-10. So I didn't have a whole head full of ICD-9 codes to replace with ICD-10 codes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and I think we're addressing a lot of important issues here, both for people who would want to use claims potentially as research, but also for all of us who are going to read studies, right? So you see in the news, blank study comes out saying this, and it's from claims. Like, I think these things are really important to understand, like, what kind of limitations there really might be on a study that's based on claims. So could you elaborate Absolutely. a little bit more on any of the ones we haven't really touched on yeah. for how, what do we need to, I don't know, take with a grain of salt if some information's <laughs> been derived from so claims. Right? Um, so the, the examples that come to mind immediately for me are if you're tracking something like you're getting from claims are only going to be bicycle accidents that were bad enough that someone needed immediate medical attention. Mm-hmm. There's a whole section of people crashing and then just walking it off um, that's not being right. tracked in those numbers. Or something as simple as a lot of the new studies about drug dependence. Drug codes are another one of those things where there's a very specific set of guidelines about how I'm allowed to code those. So even if someone comes in to the emergency room because they've overdosed on something, if the doctor doesn't specify that they meet the requirements for abuse or dependence of a drug, I can't code drug use Mm -hmm. just because. You know, methamphetamine use, I can't code that. Right. Um, if the methamphetamine use has a disorder attached to it, that I can code. But unless it's specific in the medical record, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't collect that data. That data is not being collected. I know you had explained to me as well, it also matters who is noting that information. So, yes. right, even if they do, like, a substance abuse or mental health screen, if it's conducted by an intake nurse, right, it doesn't count versus if it's taken by a physician, or there's, like, weird details about that, yeah, too, right? Yeah, there's a weird breakdown of, of who you're allowed to take some of this data mm-hmm. from. So, a lot of the external cause codes, the Mm -hmm. what caused the accident, where were you, what were you doing, all of those codes, I can take those from nurse notes Mm -hmm. and from, you know, whatever the The EMT jotted down, down. Um, things like that. For diagnoses, I can only pull those from basically billable providers, unless a resident, a a fellow, or an adult providers, unless a resident, a, a fellow, or an attending has stated that mm-hmm. even if the nurse says it, I can't, I can't code from that. Cause again, they don't have the, the medical mm-hmm. legal standing to make that determination. And so I think one of the important things to understand when we're talking about like studies that are based on claims data is that it's probably going to 
underreport many things yes. in terms of a lot of stuff won't be captured because the detail wasn't there because it was said to the wrong person or because the, the person themselves didn't wish to share said yes. information. Or even we, I talked briefly earlier about most claims forms only have right. so many spots to put things in. So they're each procedure code there, you can only link four diagnosis codes to any procedure code. And most forms, they've increased it. It used to only be eight or 10. Now we're up to 12. So you can have one primary diagnosis. And if someone has a really complex medical history, that you're, you're still cut and fat of whatever was the most applicable to this specific visit and everything else if it doesn't fit, it doesn't matter, basically. Right. And again, this goes back to that the point is to get the provider paid for a claim. Mm -hmm. And so while a lot of that information would be really great from a research point of view, you're going to have to make that distinction about what stays based on, like, what care was provided now and what complicated the severity of that care. And Absolutely. anything else, if there's not room for it, it's not it's not well, fitting in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's all really, really good stuff. Are there any kind of last notes or advice that you have for somebody wanting to work with claims data on how to make sure that they do set themselves up for success? Um, I think, I mean, just being, being a good steward of data, making sure that you can uh, corroborate the numbers you're coming up with, um, the numbers you're coming up with, um, deciding specificity versus mm -hmm broad things and where where you most want to focus that mm -hmm. um, if you're if you're tracking you know chronic kidney disease you're going to get better data from a nephrologist's office than mm -hmm. you are from the emergency room mm -hmm. um, so I guess knowing knowing where your data comes from and being mm -hmm. able to tailor where you're pulling that from to fit the specific question you're asking. That's a great point. And I think also then being humble enough to report on your findings in a way that's respectful to the source of the data. So not there were 10,000 bicycle accidents, but there were 10,000 visits to EDs for right, bicycle where bicycle accidents. accidents were coded as a cause. Correct. You know, like recognizing the limitations and being honest and open enough to share that and how you present it. And I think yeah. sometimes people are like, oh, you're just... It's an important distinction. It's a very important Absolutely. distinction. So before we leave, I have to ask you your favorite codes in the ICD-10 oh, book. there's so <laughs> many good ones. Um, yeah, so as you'd imagine, with more than 70,000 codes, there are some <laughs> weird ones in there. Um, you can be assaulted with a caterpillar. Um, there's um, contact with flying horses is an external cause code, which I it, it links back to like roller coaster code. So I think it's for a carousel, but it it does say flying horses. horses. Um, you can be bitten by an orca. You can be sucked into a jet engine. There are a couple of um, like zero gravity spacewalk codes that I'm unfortunately have never gotten to use. Um, there, there are some really good ones buried I love in it. there. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with this. I, I know many researchers me. that I am going to send this episode to to make sure they understand <laughs> this. But I think this is really a great, hopefully, eye-opener for a new place to find data. And also just a way for us to be aware all this data is out there and people are using it. Yes. And so for us to understand like what is actually behind this data and 
where do we need to be a bit skeptical when people are making conclusions based on that data? Yeah, yeah. Recognizing the limitations of the possibility of this data is immense, but the right. realities of it's still it's still people creating this data and and all of the things that go on behind the scenes um, before the data ever makes it to you. Mm -hmm. I think is is would be good for many people to know. So thank you, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank this you for sharing fun. all your expertise, and I will watch out for flying horses. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.